Galatians chapter 6. Everybody getting there? Okay. Um, Sometimes I have slides. Sometimes I don't. I just like to keep you on your toes. Don't want you to expect too much from me. Going to lower that expectation. Um, So this morning there are no slides. You will be reading along for yourselves uh, in Galatians. So let's just recap as we dive in. Galatians, Paul wrote this to the church in Galatia in response to the religious, Christian religious leaders from Jerusalem and from the Jerusalem church who were coming to the Galatian believers, the new Gentile believers, and were telling them that they had to be circumcised and they had to follow the law, the Torah, to be able to come into relationship with Jesus and to be a part of the church. And so this was being laid on them as a heavy burden of religion. And Paul was standing up to that and saying, that is not in fact true. Jesus came, died, resurrected, new life available to you only by grace. You cannot earn it by following religious behavior. You don't get into it by being circumcised. It is all by grace. And so for the first several chapters, Paul is encouraging them. He's saying, remember, this happened because of the Spirit of God who was alive in you. Don't go back to doing it in your human effort. Paul was saying things to them and encouraging them and making sure that he was standing against the religiosity that wanted to invade the early church. Now, as we're reading this, we are saying, okay, God, we know this wasn't written to us. We know this wasn't written for us. It was written for them and it was written to them. But that doesn't mean that there isn't life in it for us by your spirit. And so we're asking the Lord as we're reading these passages, how then do we apply that to our lives, to our church today? And I think it's pretty clear and pretty simple when we look at it of how tempted we are, every single one of us, to perform to please God as if somehow we could earn what he has given to us freely. And when we begin to earn and try to pay for what is free, it wraps us in a bondage of performance and appearance that is greater than just a life that is simply surrendered to the leading of the Spirit of God. And this is what Paul is saying to us, is be led by the Spirit of God. Religion and performance are diametrically opposed, opposite of living in the Spirit. They cannot exist. In the places where I grab onto religiosity and performance, I cannot be in surrender to the Spirit of God, leading me and guiding me and directing me through His Word and through His voice throughout my day. Yet, we are so prone to performance. We are so prone to someone saying, here's what you have to do. And if you don't do it, you're not a good Christian. And so then we're like, oh man, I want to be a good Christian. And so that guy with the microphone or that woman with the microphone said that I have to do this thing and I have to do this thing and I have to do, and we take those things on. And before you know it, we have exchanged the pliability of fresh and life-giving relationship with Jesus for that rigidity of saying we have to appear this way, dress this way, talk this way, do things this way to be pleasing to God and to be pleasing to our Christian peers. That is religiosity. That is what Paul is rebuking way, way back with the Galatians. And that is what he is teaching us through that letter still today, that we are not to live in that place. His message to them was simple. God loves you, he forgives you, he empowers you by his spirit to live in freedom and the relationship he desires with us and with them 
wasn't earned or it didn't originate with them. It wasn't maintained by them or by human effort. It was received by grace through faith in Jesus. And so he would say to them that when your life, and he would say to us, that when your life is fully surrendered to Jesus, you are spiritually reborn through relationship with him. And the lie that you have to finish any of that, the lie that you have to finish what God started binds us up and it tempts us towards that performance and that religion that I'm speaking about. And it pulls us away from that life of surrender and walking in step with God's spirit. And then once that temptation, as, as Paul wrote through this letter, once that temptation was rejected and he had, he had made his case against that religion saying, come and be circumcised and come in under the law and, and come back into this sect of Judaism. Once that was completely rejected, Paul wanted to be careful. And so there is a shift that happens in the back half of this letter where he's talking to Gentiles and the Gentiles are confused because the Christians from Judaism and from the church in Jerusalem are coming to them and they're saying, oh, this is what Paul would say and you need to follow this law and do this thing. So they're confused, but this is not their background. Their background is completely different than those who would have been familiar with the Torah and the temple and the sacrificial system and the law of Moses and the covenants and all of those things. And so those were trying to be imported and put on people who didn't have that background. And so they were like, what is going on? And Paul stood in front of them and said, no, get out of here. And so Paul sent them packing and then this left them with a different background to say, then what do we do? We must be like, yeah, Paul, you kicked those religious jerks to the curb. We can live in freedom. We can do whatever we want. Yeah, because Paul says so. And then Paul is like, no, <laughs> let's not let that pendulum swing too far here. You don't get to do whatever you want just because we're rejecting religiosity. And I absolutely love that message because that resonates so deeply with my heart and my passion for Living Waters, for this church, for what we have been doing, what we have been stewarding for these last several years, is to say, this is a religious detox center. This is a place where you can deconstruct into Jesus instead of deconstructing away from Jesus. This is a place where you can ask hard questions and you can struggle in your faith and you can have doubt and we we will celebrate it and say, doubt is the only place that the kind of faith that we desire can exist because it has to be in opposition to that doubt. It has to have a place for it to take root. We can say, we don't want to do religious things and we can say, we can do this and we can do that. I love that heart. But I also love Paul's heart that says, and the result of that isn't that you get to do whatever you want. It's that you have to live in surrender to the spirit of the living God that wants to transform you into Jesus's likeness and wants to bring you into fruitful living that can only happen with intimacy with the spirit of God. Like we can, Galatians 5, we can get the fruit to show up, the fruit of the spirit to show up in our life through effort. A lot of us learned Christianity that way. We looked at the fruit of the Spirit and we saw a list of behaviors that we had to wrestle into our life and we had to conform ourselves to. We can't do that. 
But what Paul is inviting us into, and what I hope we are being invited into, is not seeing that as a list of behaviors, but a list of results of surrender and invitation to the spirit of the living God. We cannot come to a place where in our freedom we mistake what God is wanting to invite us into with legalism. We cannot mistake the disciplines of the Spirit with some sort of performative religiosity. There is a reason that Jesus showed us the way to live, and if we will adopt it as behaviors, we are not being religious. We are being faith-filled to say, Jesus, if this is how you said it looks to live in surrender to your Spirit, I will live that way even in the smallest of things. And the danger that can take place is the same thing that was taking place in the Galatian church. You don't have to be under religion. Woo, well then let's go do whatever we want and say we're free in Jesus, we can do these things. If your freedom is leading you into bondage to self and your flesh, you are not living in freedom. We have to be mature enough to steward the freedom that Paul has preached that Jesus has given and that we are in a place as living waters where I can be a pastor who says, I will defend anything that comes your way that has a religious overtone or undertone to it that would try to coerce you into behavior or into a false sense of connection with Jesus based on your performance. I will fight and I will stand and I will get into the middle of that and I will block that. But I also will stand in the midst of that. I will also to you say, we have to live in surrender to his spirit. And we have to be able to not just go, freedom looks like I can do whatever I want. We have to have the results of spiritual growth. We have to redefine freedom and understand that the freedom that the world has around us is in fact slavery. Slavery to self, slavery to quick fixes, slavery to brokenness. And yes, we will reject religion, but we will not come to a place where rejecting religion leaves us stuck with our flesh and with our unhealthy choices and decisions. You don't have to, do, you don't have to follow those rules, but it doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want. So let's not become so cool or settled in our deconstruction of religious behavior that we mistake conviction for shame and spiritual practices for legalism. Don't shame me. I'm not shaming you. I'm speaking truth and I'm convicting in that place. Let's not become so cool in our deconstruction of religious behavior that we mistake conviction for shame and spiritual practices for legalism. You understand what I'm saying? So I want to step back into five for just a second so that we can get a running start at this summit that Paul brings us to in Galatians 6. Galatians 5, 17. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts and the behavior of the flesh are obvious. 
sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the Pharisee among us says, finally, a list. Yes, this is what I've been waiting for because now I can compare my list to everybody else's behavior and I can remind them why they're falling short all the time. Or I have a list of things that I can be like, oh, I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do that. Clearly, I'm doing great. And so the, the, the Pharisee in us is gleeful. I will make it into the heavenly afterlife because I followed this list. But understand, as we have shared before and as I've taught before, this verse is about manifesting the present kingdom, not making it into a future one. But the fruit of the Spirit that we are called to manifest is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The end of fear-based religion is fruit-based living. Jesus said that if we are if we live in relationship with Holy Spirit, the results are very simple. We have fruitfulness pouring out of our life. So those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. It goes on in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now don't hear Paul saying that all of your passions and all of your desires have to be crucified. The passions and the desires that he's talking about are those that are born from an unhealthy self-centeredness that we, where we try to get our needs met our way. And so he goes on to say in verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Andy covered this section of Scripture so well a couple of weeks ago. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it. He does a great job with that passage. But I wanted to step back and just have that, that verse section coming into Galatians 6 as, as he continues. Brothers and sisters, or better said, family, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load." Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Amen. I like that. I see a lot of you with good things you're not sharing with me. So we can, we can talk about that another time. I have a list. Um, totally kidding. All right. So Galatians 6, this is where we are running to this high point in this letter that Paul is bringing us to. Do not be deceived God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. A person reaps what they sow. This is true universally. It's a universal spiritual law that is true whether we believe in Jesus or we don't believe in Jesus. A person reaps what they sow. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. When we sow into our flesh, we become calloused. The more that we sin, the less we feel bad about it. The longer that we follow Jesus, the more we confess our sin. 
It's interesting the way that this goes. As I follow Jesus, I find more sin to confess to Jesus. When I'm stepping away from Jesus, I feel more and more like I'm fine. Because my attitudes have been codified into my life. My thinking has been codified. My behavior has been brought into my life. And if I just stick with it long enough, it becomes normal. And once it becomes normal, I no longer have the ability to hear the Spirit of God convicting me on it. Because I have taken it off the table. It is no longer up for debate. This is a part of my life. And we become people who do not confess sin and turn from our sin. But if we walk with Jesus, we will find ourselves confessing all the time. Not because Jesus is sitting there going, you are the worst. I I know, I'm the worst. No, because in our allegiance to him and the fruit-based living, we are able to judge what is coming out of our relationship with Jesus next to Christ-likeness and Christ's spirit fruitfulness. And that's what we want to do. So he goes on, whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. And you can say, God, that's super mean that you would do that, that you would would say that to people. But really all he's stating is, again, a universal law that says you reap what you sow. The consequence for sin, or sorry, the punishment for sin is most often what? The consequence of sin. It is what we reap out of our lives to choose to be in sin. God doesn't have to go like, oh, I'm coming to now punish you with a lightning bolt. He allows the 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 seed of sin, to grow up to fruitfulness in our life. And in that, hopefully, it awakens us. So, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. When I live in sin, my marriage begins to deteriorate. My relationships begin to deteriorate. My life begins to deteriorate. How I speak, what I see, what I hope for begins to deteriorate. The authority that I carry begins to deteriorate. This is the destruction that we're talking about. It's not like, oh, you're just going to someday your life's, you're going to be going along and your life's going to fall apart. It's, it's this slow deterioration that leads to destruction when we are living and sowing into our own flesh. That's the bad news. But the good news, whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. So again, eternal life. Let's talk about that just for a second. It's not a great translation. It's not about life forever. It's about the life of the age to come. And the life of the age to come is what John talks about when he says eternal life is knowing you and being in relationship with you, God. It's what John talks about in John 10, 10, that we would have life and we would have life to the fullest, the life of the age to come, the life that results from connection to God. Again, we're not taking something and moving it to the future. We're, we're, we're understanding that this is about the present and about the here and the now. And so if we misinterpret the word eternal, we kick the urgency and the application of Jesus's message into this afterlife place when it was intended for this life. So what we see is that we will reap an eternal life, a life connected with God, a life of the fullness of the age to come. And it's not that it is not speaking of an eternal reality, but I'm saying it is not only speaking of an eternal reality that says if you do these things, you get into heaven. If you live in this way, you experience the fullness of life here and now. So Paul's main point This high point of the letter is this. God cannot be mocked. We will reap what we sow in the here and now. 
Through the letter, the Galatians were challenged to be careful where they sowed, whether it was into the, what kind of soil they were sowing into, whether it was the flesh or whether it was the spirit. And they were, were reminded that once they had finished sowing, they could not change the harvest. So our resources, our time, and our passions sown to the flesh will bring a harvest of destruction, a harvest of corruption. Galatians 5 talks about that. That investment is gone. It can never be reclaimed. But the parts of our life that we sow to the Spirit will produce life. And so the wider application from this passage to us is simply this. All that we do is either an investment into the flesh, that part of ourselves that is bent away from God, or it is into the Spirit, into our spirit through His Spirit. We will reap whatever we have sown, and we will reap in proportion to what we have sown. And we will reap exponentially more than we have sown. That is a kingdom principle that I love. A seed doesn't reap a seed. A seed reaps a tree. That's exponential. That's the kingdom. In the kingdom, something small becomes something big. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly, sparingly, sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And I know that the context for 2 Corinthians is financial giving. But again, this is a law, a spiritual law that Jesus has written or that God has written into the universe. That we would understand that when we sow sparingly into our spiritual lives, we are going to reap sparingly from our spiritual lives. When we sow generously into our flesh and its desires and its wants and its pathways, then we are going to reap destruction and diminishment diminishment of our relationship with the Spirit. I, I, I want to say something. As I said earlier, I love that we have a place where we have said, this is not a religious church. We are here to help people often who have come out of extremely religious backgrounds and, or, or cults even in places like that. So we want to we cultivate an aura of, of um, just a relaxed atmosphere towards the religious things. But I don't want that to become something where in exchange for not seeming religious, we are not sowing spiritually into our lives so that we are not reaping spiritual benefits out of our lives. I'm tired of dealing with people's harvest that is tiny and sitting in my office and they're holding up what they have reaped, either a tiny spiritual harvest or a really big flesh harvest and I'm tired of being on that side of the conversation with people as they're bringing in what has come from their season of sowing. I want to be a church that is on the soil and sowing side of the discipleship process, trusting what happens when we sow in the spirit that we don't have to stand out there and watch the dirt. We just get to sow and sow and sow and there will come a season where we reap massive spiritual benefits from sowing into the spirit and not sowing into our flesh. Now, don't hear me say that I'm tired of people. I'm not tired of people. I just don't love sitting there 
in being in that now what do I do conversation because I've sown into my flesh for years and I'm reaping the reward for that sowing. And I will sit in that place and I will be in that place. But I am not a magician. I cannot take a tiny spiritual harvest and turn it into a huge spiritual harvest. What we will have to do is we will have to break that down and take the seed and replant it back into the things that we know it needs to be planted into, believing that in a year or two or five or 10 or 20, it will reap a reward. It will not be fast, but it is absolutely true. Again, don't hear me say that I'm tired of people. I'm not. I do get what what Paul says in Galatians 4. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I'm like, Paul, shoot, man. As a pastor, I feel that. He is seeing them. He is seeing them come alive in Jesus and then he's seeing people come to them and whisper religion into their ear and then he's watching them be like, oh, Paul, you're, yeah, I get it. Jesus is awesome. And then seeing them turn and go back into religiosity, go back into bondage, to go back, to go back. Don't go back. Galatians is a, is a parallel to the Egyptian, uh, the, the leaving slavery in Egypt. And he's saying, don't go back. But they're out there like, but why did you bring us out here just to die? Have I wasted my efforts on you? He's saying he's wrestling with that reality because people want Quick fixes and quick solutions. And he's saying, walk with me the longer road. The short feedback loop is your flesh. The long feedback loop is the spiritual sowing. Following Jesus, the reason I feel that, what Paul says, I fear that, I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you is because following the way of Jesus is costly, it is hard, and it is so Dang, slow. (laughs) People say it's not working when results don't appear in a month. It's not working, I'll just do it my way. I'll go back to what was working before. I'm free in religion. I don't have to follow these religious rules. I can do this, what worked before. We give up so quick and then not only that, in, in giving up, we start to accuse God for his failure to manifest fruit out of season or to manifest fruit that we didn't plant. Instead of the fruit that we did. (laughs) Oh, it's such a basic principle. Why do we, why is it so difficult for us? Because of that desire we have for instant gratification and quick fixes and to feel better right now. I'm raising kids moderately well. (laughs) And it's a good example because, you know, when I'm raising my kids and I'm trying to get them to behave, it feels good to get them to do what I want right when I want them to do it. And I can. But when I do that, what do I sow? And what will I reap? It's hard to be patient. It's hard to value their heart over my schedule or my tiredness or my desired outcome. But it is much harder to have to repair a distant relationship in the future because I use shortcuts in parenting to get 
results in the moment instead of results in their heart and their character. And we get that in parenting. And I can do it how I want to do it and get to where I want to be. And I can be like, future Ryan can deal with that kid. (laughs) I need to stop. I don't want to give problems to future Ryan. Can I just say, like, stop pleasing yourself in the moment and kicking the results down the road to your future self. Your future self, I I went there, I talked to them. They're very annoyed with you. (laughs) Very annoyed. Stop it. They, you, you'll be there and you will have to deal with this. And I have to deal with the relationship that I create with my kids based on whether I want to sow in the spirit into their lives or if I want to just sow, get in the dang car when I told you to get in the dang car. So parenting is an easy example, but if we look around, it's true in every area of our lives. When, when some of us are feeling out of control, it feels good to lash out and to con- try to control people around us. When we don't feel control, we want to control everybody and everything, and we lash out. When someone is lonely or they're in their marriage, their marriage is struggling, it feels good to find a quick fix in a meaningless sexual relationship or in porn or in an emotional affair or in getting lost in work or getting lost in a video game or getting lost in a phone. When someone's internal world is crumbling, it feels good to attack and to blame others. When someone is in pain, whether it's spiritual or physical or emotional or mental, it feels good to find something to numb it right now. But if we always choose the shortcut, if we always choose this immediate solution, which is sowing in so often is sowing into the flesh, we may not like the harvest when it arrives. And understand that Paul said, you will reap destruction. Again, destruction can be, oh, hellfire and brimstone, I'm burning in in hell. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that you will reap destruction right now in your finances, in your relationships, in your mental health, in your emotional health, in your marriage, in your family. That's what he's talking about. That's the destruction that we are trying to avoid by not sowing into our flesh. Here's a cheesy internet meme. I've used this before. It was probably, what's the guy, Dave Goggins or whatever? He just like runs and curses. Is that, is, is that, is that the right guy? He's just like, you know, he's, he's done. Dude, that dude, he's running along telling you how much you suck is what he's basically doing. Um, so <laughs> there it is, yes. Uh, so it may be, maybe it's him, maybe it's not. But it's, but it's basically this, choose your heart, right? Marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Which hard do you want to choose? Being unhealthy is hard. Getting healthy is hard. Either way, it's difficult. Which hard do you want to choose? Living with buried trauma is hard. Healing from trauma is hard. Which one is going to bear the greatest fruit? Being in debt is hard. Being financially disciplined is hard. They're both hard. Which one are you going to choose? You get the idea. Life will always be hard, but we can choose our heart and we can reap the reward. Paul's encouragement then 
Do not become weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So a lot of times we'll quote the scripture to people in the sense of like, oh, you're going through a hard season. Don't, get, don't grow weary in going through a hard season. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying don't grow weary in fighting the flesh. Specifically and contextually, that's what he's saying. Don't grow weary in fighting the flesh. Continue to sow into the spiritual realm and in due season, you will reap a reward. It's not easy. Easy is ejecting. Easy is coping. Easy is blaming. Easy is being a victim. Easy is numbing. Sowing for a future harvest is not easy. And a lot of times, sowing into the right thing instead of the easy thing is costly, it's painful, and it's difficult. As Jesus said in Matthew 26, when he returned to his disciples who were sleeping when he asked them to pray, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You don't have to get up early to ensure you have personal uninterrupted time with Jesus. You have that freedom, I guess, in Jesus, right? You don't have to take care of yourself physically. You have that freedom in Jesus. You don't have to forgive people. I guess you have that. Eh. We can talk about that one. But you don't have to forgive people. You don't have to get up early in the morning to seek the Lord. You don't have to take care of yourself. You don't have to push into, inter, uh, into internal healing. But if you do those things, you learn a way of life that isn't about human effort. It is about using those things as tools to surrender to the spirit of the living God that would transform you and bring a fruitfulness out of your life. I am not telling you that you need to say like, do the hard things out of human effort. I'm saying do the hard things because they bring you into a place of brokenness before the Lord where you realize that it is only in full surrender that I am able to have the seeds of your spirit planted in me and then cultivated until they grow in fruitfulness. We don't have to do those things, but we are invited into them. And if we do, our life changes. We understand this in the physical with working out and our diet. We can think about working out and we can think about our diet Every day, every moment of every day, there will be no results unless you actually put it into action. We can understand this with our finances. Nobody wants to live on a budget, but if you don't, you are not cultivating future financial health for yourself. But the original principle is spiritual. We reap what we sow, and the more that we sow, the greater the harvest. Therefore, he says in verse 10, as we have the opportunity, let us do good, let us sow into all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The practical of this principle is this. How are you walking this out with the people who are directly impacted by your life? Religiosity. If I know that I'm caught in religion, I will talk a good game and I will say the right things, but the people closest to me are not receiving the fruit of the Spirit from my life. But if I am doing the things, and I love this, so often I would say to people, what does it look like to sow into the flesh? I would say it's things that you're doing in secret. A lot of times. And now sometimes when we have seared our conscience, we go ahead and just do it out in the open and whatever. 
It's freedom in Jesus. That's not what freedom means. Okay. Uh, but a lot of times when we're sowing into our flesh, it's things that we're doing in secret. But you know what? A lot of times when we're sowing into the spirit, it's things that we're doing in secret. It's the secret places. It's the secret moments. It's the places where we carve out time with the word and with the Lord and in prayer and fasting and confession and repentance and those things that no one sees until the fruit begins to come out of our life. And the people closest to us will experience the truth and the fruitfulness of our relationship with Jesus, or they will not. And we can make all of the excuses that we want, but if the people closest to us are not experiencing Christ's likeness from our life, we are not sowing in the Spirit and reaping a harvest of spiritual fruit. We are, we are either trying to convince others and deluding ourselves, or we are planting the wrong seeds the wrong way. And Paul is asking us to be people who plant seeds in the spiritual realm. Worship team, if you guys would come back up. So you understand that like Paul, I, who am not like Paul, Certainly. Well, maybe they're just a dude, right? Let's not turn our, yeah, turn, don't turn people into superheroes. Like Paul, we have spent a lot of time, everyone's, everyone's nervous that the worship team isn't coming. I'm sure they're coming. It's fine. Everyone's like, like their eyes are darting about. Maybe they, all right, well, just someone come up that can play the keys. It would be great. No, just kidding. Don't, just kidding. Oh gosh, that would get awkward real fast. True, don't make me sing. Don't make me sing. <laughs> so we have spent a good amount of the last couple of years and maybe even further than that, harvest, or creating a place where we can be free from religiosity. And now in exchange for that, I'm gonna ask you for the next couple of years, 2024 and 2025, to be okay being challenged in the spiritual disciplines. Because you can trust that when I challenge you in the spiritual disciplines, it's not coming from a place of performance. It's coming from a place of saying, this is the way that Jesus is leading us into and these things matter. And so it has to come in an exchange of like, I'm building this not just so this is what we can have forever, a rad environment where we're free. That's not what we're doing. We spend a season building a foundation so that we can invite Jesus to build a house on that foundation of what it is that honors him. And I believe that these next couple of years, the way that we're gonna honor him is we are going to move in discipleship into those places of sowing in the soil and the, and the seed, taking care of that and not just being there with people when they're learning of the consequences of what they are harvesting from their lifestyles. Is that okay? Great. So my question for us this morning as the worship team leads us back into a time of worship and response is that as followers of Jesus, we are invited whenever we come together, we're invited to the communion table and the communion table is an opportunity for us to search our hearts. It's also just an opportunity for us to honor and remember Jesus for who he was, the fullness of who he was and what he accomplished and how he lived and died and was resurrected and how his spirit was poured out upon us and so as we take this time of prayer and response and worship, I want you to take communion. 
And we invite you to that communion table as followers of Jesus. And you can take that at your leisure. The communion table is over here and over here. You're welcome to go get that, bring that back. You can pray together as a couple, a family, an individual. Just spend some time allowing God's spirit to search your heart and to search your life. And my questions for you as you do that is this. Where are you sowing? Are you sowing into the flesh or are you sowing into the spirit in your life? Where are you sowing? Are the behaviors and the habits and the things that are happening in your life, are they spiritual habits and spiritual disciplines or are they coping and numbing and excusing and lashing out and hurting others and deteriorating relationships and deteriorating marriages and deteriorating your authority? My deep and sincere request is that we would be people who would come to the communion table and say, Holy Spirit, search my heart and search my life, that any place where I'm sowing into me and my solutions and my flesh, that you would intercept that, that you would till that up and you would till that soil and you would remove those seeds and that you would show me what it looks like again to sow into the Spirit. My second question I have for you this morning is this, is your freedom in Christ, quote unquote, is your freedom from religion, is it feeding your flesh or is it defeating your flesh? If you are stewarding the freedom that Jesus has given to you, it is a weapon against your flesh and the appetite of your flesh will decrease every year that you sow and sow and sow into the spirit. But if I am mishandling my freedom, what I am doing is I am inadvertently re-empowering the defeated parts of my heart and life. And I'm sowing into my flesh. Don't let our freedom in you, Jesus, become a liberty of places in our life where we no longer even ask you permission before we partake, before we Respond before we act, before we get out of bed in the morning, before we go to bed at night. What time should I go to bed? What time would you have me wake up? What do you want me to do tomorrow? What would my morning look like in surrender to you? How do you want me to respond to my spouse? How do you want me to respond to my kids? How do you want me to take, should I take this drink? Should I smoke this thing? Should I respond in this way? Should I act out of that pain? These are the questions that the Spirit of God wants to be with you in moment by moment, that we don't have these long sections of our day without checking in with Him, and that every moment and every decision is surrendered to Him to say, is this sowing into me, or is this sowing into my relationship with you? Is this numbing my heart and life or is this awakening me to your presence? God, let our freedom in Christ never bring us into such a sense of pride that we end up in bondage to behaviors that we are no longer checking in with you because we think we have freedom. And my final question for you is what are you reaping? What are you reaping right now? You might be in a season where you're reaping a harvest from years of sowing into the flesh. And I want to invite you into the one, one of the things that I love the most about Jesus and the beauty of God. 
is that he exchanges ashes for beauty. That if you're holding this harvest of sowing into your flesh for days, for hours, <laughs> for weeks, for years, and you're holding up this just barely a harvest of spiritual health because you have spent all of your seeds sowing into your flesh and you have this huge harvest of junk. The beauty of our Savior is that he's inviting you to say, bring me that junk and only in my kingdom would I receive that as a gift at my altar and that you would lay that down before him even in your shame and you would say, this is what I have, Jesus. And you would see his response to you and he would say, thank you for bringing that to me. I want to consume this on my altar. I want to remove this from your life. I want to break this back down to seed and I want to give it back to you and I want to point you at the spiritual soil and I want to say, go and plant again, believing that if you will sow in the spirit, you will reap in the spirit. And he wants to take whatever you're bringing today and exchange it for a fresh bag of seeds that you can sow into your life in the spirit. Jesus, we give you these next few minutes. Spirit of the living God, we know that you're here and you're present in this place. Heavenly Father, we know that you have come in this time to just awaken your sons and daughters to the realities of sowing in the spirit. You've come to awaken us, to call us home. You've come to bring us into freedom. And so for these next few minutes, as we take communion, we do it in remembrance of you, Jesus. Your life and your death and your resurrection, your enthronement and your outpouring. We ask that you would seek us, seek our hearts and reveal to us places where we are sowing into the flesh. I ask that you would make an exchange with us as we are bringing about the lesser things that we have harvested and we're able, because of you and only because of your grace, we're able to exchange those for the greater things that you have for us in the future. And I'm praying God for energy for the long road that's ahead for many of us. And that that's okay because you are not waiting at the end, you are walking in the midst. In Jesus' name, we invite you to move. Amen. Amen. As they lead us in worship, communion tables are open to you. Let's respond as ever, however the Spirit leads us this morning.